in my wildest dreams, I never thought I'd be here doing this. It wasn't on the radar, but you're on the radar. This church God knows about. This is a great church to be in. I'm truly humbled to be here. And I thank you for your prayers and your wonderful cooperation and support for Samaritan's Purse and the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. You guys are not awesome. God's awesome. You're working on being amazing, and you're almost there. (laughs) Well, if you have a Bible, open it anywhere. It's all good. (laughs) I'm going to go back to Genesis 47-11 and rehash what uh, Dave did for us. starts this way. Then Joseph settled his father and his brothers and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, in the land of Ramesses, as Pharaoh had commanded him. And Joseph provided his father, his brothers, and all his father's household with food according to the number of their dependents. I guess I'm having a little difficulty. So uh, I'll get it right. There there it is. Hey, you're right, Pastor Ron. It does work. <laughs> but what Dave read was uh, Genesis 37:15. I gave you the end of the story. Everybody loves the happy ending, so you got one. I guess we can go home now. But Genesis 37:15. And a certain man found him wandering in the fields. And the man asked him, What are you seeking? I am seeking my brothers. Tell me, please, where they are pasturing the flock. And this man said to them, They have gone away. For I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. I've got one question for the church Who was this man? Nameless and faceless to us, but known to God. Who was he? Well, we know he was out there sitting on a rock or something. Maybe God had him, uh, told him in a dream. Maybe he had a vision. Maybe God spoke to him. Maybe the pre-incarnate Christ came and told him what to do. But he had a duty to do. He was on a mission from God. And he sat on that rock waiting. He was waiting for a man with a coat of many colors. He waited and waited. Could have been there a month, a day, a year. Could have been there two years. Maybe God gave him a rock shaped like an easy chair. We don't know. But we do know he was there. How did he get there? That's not important. The important thing, he was there. This man, nameless and faceless, was one of the unsung heroes. We have some in church, but we know their faces. We know who they are, but no one else does. And they're doing a job for the Lord. So what we're trying to do is tell you, this unsung hero, this nameless and faceless man, did his job faithfully. But I'd like to uh, find out how many other nameless and faceless Bible heroes there are. So let's take a quick trip through the scripture. And I'm going to start with someone who's not a real character, but I'm going to start with Luke 10, 25, through 37. That's the story of the Good Samaritan. He's not, a, he's not a real person, but it's the idea that stands behind him. 
We have a, we've got his truck right outside. It says Samaritan's Purse on it. We've got Samaritan's Purse worn shirts here. They're here doing the same thing that this man did. They're offering healing, physical and spiritual. Physical healing because they're out there mucking out houses, tearing out sheetrock, getting rid of mold, spraying houses, cleaning them out. That's what they're doing. They, and this Samaritan man started the same healing process, but it was one-on-one. We take one house at a time, one homeowner at a time. We do it the same fashion. Physically and spiritually, just like Samaritan's Purse does, this man did and started that journey for us. I want to go to uh, another short little one here. Whoops. Acts 16 verses 22 through 34. There's a certain man known as the Philippian jailer. Well, he's known as a jailer and he's from Philippi, so he's a Philippian jailer. That's all we know about him. Nothing else except for the fact he did his job. He was told by the magistrate, take them in there, keep them safely. That's verse 22. That night, Paul and Silas were singing hymns. And around midnight, there was an earthquake. They were probably singing hymns because they sat up at night because they couldn't lay on their backs that were cut open by the beating they took. And they were so happy to be persecuted for Christ, they were happy at singing about it. So when persecution comes to you for the sake of Christ, rejoice in it. it may be difficult, but rejoice in your persecutions for Christ. When the earthquake happened, the jailer came and maybe he was listening. The prisoners were listening to them. The jailer could have been listening to them as well. He probably was. When the earthquake hit, the jailer saw the cells were open, chains were gone, bindings gone. He was going to commit suicide. He knew that if a prisoner escaped, he'd be tortured and killed. So Paul yells to him, Stop! Don't harm yourself. We're all here. Jailer called for the lights. They came down there with torches, saw everybody was there. And what did the jailer do? He bent down to Paul and Silas and he asked this question. What must I do to be saved? Not thanks for staying here. Not why didn't you leave? But he says, what must I do to be saved? See, the prisoners are watching you too. Your daily walk. Prisoners of addictions. Prisoners of of unfaithfulness. Prisoners of misery. Prisoners of the flood that happened. And they're living in abject sorrow now they're watching what you do what will you do it's up to you well what the next thing this jailer does he washes their wounds cleanses them takes them home but first Paul told him believe in the Lord Jesus Christ you and your household shall be saved so he took him to his house take him to his house my that's great taking two prisoners to your house He cleanses their wounds. They all receive Christ as Lord and Savior. And they're baptized immediately. Hopefully, and we know, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Next, let's go. This one here really struck me. And and I think we ought to look at it in detail. Please, everybody turn to 2 Kings 3.15. There's one verse. But before that, you have to read what happened. I'll leave that to you. 
This is where three kings are joining together. I'll make a synopsis of every, every verse and story. Three kings are joining together. Elisha's called. Elisha said, I wouldn't have come, but not that I regard King Jehoshaphat. He did it for one king. The other two he didn't care about. But he went there. Might have been a little upset. But he does say this, but now bring me a musician. And here's the key. And when the musician played, the hand of the Lord came upon him. When you started playing that piano, when you sang the first song, when you sang, the presence of God was here because the Lord inhabits our praise. He can't leave. The word says it. He can't leave. As long as we're praising him, he's here with us. Hum, hum a praise song in the car. Sing one. My, oh my, what an opportunity we have to have the Lord with us all the time by just having that musical note be struck and it comes from your voice too. Even if you can't carry a tune, like me, I carry mine in a suitcase. But you have to be ready. If you need the Lord, just start singing. He'll show up. He has to keep his word. He cannot lie. The Lord inhabits our praise. And that's so important. And I thank you for your song. I thank you for your leading. I thank you for your playing. It, it made the hair on my arm stand up singing these old songs and hearing the new ones. I'm telling you, there's nothing like praising the Lord to get your spirits lifted up. And that's what our SP team does. I've heard a couple of them trying to sing, and uh, I appreciate it. <laughs> lifted my spirits. But that's the nameless, faceless jailer. Nameless, uh, I mean, nameless, nameless, faceless, faceless musician. Next we go to Mark 5, 25 through 34, focusing exclusively on verse 28. So Mark 5, verse 28. This is the woman with the issue of blood. That's all she was known as. The woman who had an issue with blood. Not that she was so-and-so from this city or that city or or anything else. We knew she had an issue of blood. And this verse shows what faith can do. She said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. Not I can be made well, or maybe, but she had faith to believe just touching the garment of Jesus Christ would make her well. She's a woman who stuck to her faith. She had faith. If we had faith like that, that, that mountain would move. But we don't because we have doubts. She started a new healing paradigm. Other people started touching, reaching out to touch Jesus later on, touching the apostles. So she started something new, a new healing paradigm because she had faith. She's, she's a hero of faith because she has faith. The next one I want to go to I told you I'm just skimming through this to give you some ideas to challenge you to be that certain man, that certain woman, that certain young person because we need people out there. The widow, this is the woman, we're going to uh, Luke 4.26. But I'm going to give you a little background first. This is when Jesus came out of the wilderness. He went into Nazareth, his hometown, went to the synagogue, grabbed the scroll, opened it up to Isaiah, just by chance, right? No, by, by design he did that. And he started reading, and he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, 
because he has anointed me and I stop there if Jesus had to be anointed don't we have to be anointed also the people from Samaritan's Purse and the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association chaplains that volunteer to come here they've been called just as you have they've been chosen just as you have they've been appointed just as you have and they are anointed just as you are so don't let that anointing run away from you run to it then he gives his job description the spirit of the Lord is upon me he has anointed me to proclaim the, the last thing is proclaim the favor the favorable year of the Lord to heal the sick bind the wounds set the captives free set the prisoners free same thing captives prisoners but they loved what he said they said where did he learn such teaching as this and you know what he then gets him there with this widow of Zarephath all we know is she was a widow she lived in Zarephath that's all we know about her we also know that if we go back and look at Elijah he's the one that fed her and uh, had the oil and the flour multiply but he chose her and they got mad at him Elisha in the days of Elisha the prophet there were many lepers the only one that got cleansed was Naaman the Syrian and then they wanted to push Jesus over the cliff and kill him why they loved him just a few seconds ago and then he talked about the widow Zarephath from Sidon and she's another race of people that's where Jezebel came from and then Naaman the Syrian knew about Elisha because of a captive he took in a raid when he raided Israel he talked about people of a different race and they wanted to kill him what I get out of this is racism is a spirit of murder he, that's the first sermon he ever preached and he, we still don't have it right there were some fights going on the other day in, in Virginia some riots they don't have it right either we need to pray and there's one last one here I want to talk about before I get into the real meat of it just getting your hopefully your appetite's wet the man carrying a large jug of water in Luke 22.10 you know it's not uh, easy for a man to carry a jug of water usually that was assigned to the staff or to a woman now we know women are much more worthy than that nowadays we pitch in and help them without them we'd be lost hey the woman there was a woman who carried Jesus in her body the first woman to see Je- the first person to see Jesus when he was resurrected was a woman so uh, women thank you thank you Luke 22:10 he said to them behold when you have entered the city a man carrying a jar of water will meet you follow him into the house he enters and tell the master of the house the teacher says to you where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples this happened on what we refer to as Maudie Thursday the day before Jesus was crucified the day 
that we had the Last Supper, the day that we instituted communion, when Jesus said, this is my body, this is my blood. Do this in remembrance of me, which we did last Sunday. And we took it with reverence, with a holy reverential fear of God and with a love for Christ. That is so important that this man, nobody knew who he was. He might have been ridiculed by other men carrying a big jug of water. We don't know. We don't know anything about him. Unsung hero. There are two more I'm going to talk about later. That's Mark 5, 1 through 40, and John 4, 9 through 34. The demoniac of the Gadarenes and the woman at the well. So uh, I just want to tell you that Scripture is silent as to the identity of these nameless and faceless people. They may be unknown to us, but they're known to God. We can't see them, but they're in God's vision right now. He's telling them, well done, my good and faithful servants. The unknowns have the approval of the Lord. Not like the lighting, the lightning and the bright lights and people shining brightly from the past. The ones we honor and revere like Moses, Isaiah, Samuel, Deborah, Ruth, John, or even King David. They're all held in high esteem. But these are anonymous, obedient servant lovers of God who had one purpose, one thing only. They have a witness of sticking, of sticking to a task at hand, giving directions like the man did to uh, Joseph, ushering in the presence of God like the musician, preaching a message, creating a new paradigm in healing, standing for righteousness, starting a revival. These nameless, faceless people serve the purposes of God and are living stones on which we build our faith. Today, in your home, in your church, in your community, you have an option to do that for the love of God. Now I'm going to backtrack a little bit and go back to Mark 5, 1 through 20. I'm, I'm not going to read the whole thing. It takes too long. I want you to get out of here and beat those uh, other people to the steakhouse. So, uh, Or there's no football game, but I'm still going to get it, get it done here. This... It starts with a bad boat ride in the end of chapter 4 of Mark. The apostles are on the boat. They're, they're, they're afraid. They wake up Jesus and he says, he calms the waves. Then he rebukes his own disciples. He rebukes them. Oh, ye of little faith. I wouldn't want to be one of those guys at that time. Now they hit the land. They, they land and the apostles are going, glad we made it. I'd rather be in a boat ride with Jesus anywhere than with anybody else think you would too so he get on the land and here comes this demoniac from the Gadarenes they say that he was so strong iron chains couldn't hold him his shackles he destroyed what is he runs down the beach now if I was Peter I'd tell I'd tell uh, John you hit him high I'll hit him low you know I mean this guy's as big as a defensive end and what does he do he runs down drops to his knees and worships Jesus we later find out there were 2,000 swine. So he had at least 2,000 demons in him. A legion is 6,000. But let's settle for 2,000, take the lower end of the number. If 2,000 demons couldn't stop him from worship, worshiping Jesus, what's holding back the church from getting out of the pews and doing something to help the people around him? 2,000 demons in this man. He drops down. Jesus asks him, who are you? Now, I, I know if I run into a demon, I'm not going to ask you who you are. <laughs> 
That's getting information from a source outside of Christ. I don't want to do that. Well, Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He can do what he wants. He's God. What's your name? Legion. There are many of us. Then they make a prayer request. Hey, don't cast us into utter, utter darkness. Cast us into the swine. So guess what? Jesus honors the prayer request of a demon. Can you believe that? Just think what it will do for you. God-fearing, God-loving Christians who are spirit-filled. There's nothing he won't do for you if you ask, right? Nothing as long as it's in his will. Keep asking. Keep knocking. Keep seeking. If you did it for the demons, my goodness what he'll do for you. So, swine are now full of demons. What do they do? They run over the cliff and commit suicide. Now, I want you women to pay attention to this especially. That's the first time in the history of the world you have a recording of deviled ham. (laughs) It's not as bad as what we heard over here. (laughs) The other scary part is the demoniac came back dressed and in his right mind and then the people feared him. That's a little strange. But he's got his he's got he's gonna do what we're gonna find out later in Revelation. How do you beat Satan? Defeat him? The word of your testimony and the blood of the Lamb. He did this before the time was there, before it was time. He just did the word of his testimony. He said, Hey, my name is Felix. I'm the guy who ran around howling at the moon, eating your dogs and cats. That's his testimony. Then he tells him what the Lord did for him. People were afraid of him. Then he tells Jesus, you and me, Jesus, I'm coming with you. No. Jesus says, you stay here. And Jesus says, he was, I'm trying to, I didn't didn't write the verse down, but it's verse 19. Jesus tells him to stay and tell your friends what the Lord has done for you. And you know what he does? He's been appointed the first missionary of Jesus Christ. Think about that. Ten minutes ago, he was demoniac. Now he's a missionary for Jesus Christ in the Gadarenes. I guess he's the president of the Jesus Christ of the Gadarenes Evangelistic Association, you know, because he's got got him on a mission. But you know what he does? The demoniac goes and he proclaims Jesus Christ throughout Decapolis. He proclaimed Jesus there in the ten cities. And he's spreading the gospel. This nameless, faceless, former demoniac is spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is amazing to me. If he can do that for that that man, what can he do for you? Because he loves you more. The woman at the well. John 4, 5 through 41. I'm not going to go through the whole story because it takes a little while to do it. But I'm going to focus on a few verses. She was uh, drawing water about the sixth hour. That's around noon. People draw water in the morning when the water's still cool. She got it in the middle of the day. Why? Her history. She's afraid of her past. Didn't want to be embarrassed again by the women, other women at the well. That could be why. That's what I feel it is. Jesus tells her, get me a drink. She makes a big fuss about her being a Samaritan and he being a Jew. His clothes gave him away. He's wearing the, uh, the robe with the scissors at the bottom, the, the blue fringe that signify heaven. They have a conversation. He tells her, go get your husband. Well, she says, I don't have a husband. 
well, what about the other five you did have? She's astounded. She says, there's one coming who will know everything. He is the Messiah. And Jesus says, it is I. I am he. He's the Messiah, the Christ. She runs and tells the townspeople. They believe her. They start, they start a revival based on one woman's testimony to get a revival started. And then the other, in verse 41, the townspeople and many more believed because of his word. She started a revival. So it only takes one who's hungry and thirsty. There's one man on a rock, one musician, one demoniac. One person can do small things that turn into great things in God's eyes. Speaking of revival, last Sunday when I was up here, I said that we had two salvations for three days worth of work. Hold on to your hats. There are now 40 new Christians because of what happened here. There are four other decisions as well, rededications and assurances. So 44 people have made decisions for Christ since Samaritan's Purse has been here helping. They started a healing process like the Good Samaritan did in the parable. They started a healing process. The chaplains come along and provide emotional and spiritual care. It's a joint effort. 479 people have been prayed for individually and 44 of those made decisions. That's almost 10%. That's, that's truly an amazing number. There's a move of God going on here in West Virginia in Marshall County. God's got his thumbprint on this church. He's got his thumbprint on you. Your job is to follow up and make them not converts, but make them disciples. You don't have to think about it. You don't have to pray about it. You've been told to do it by Jesus Christ himself in Matthew 28, 18. Just do it. As a matter of fact, there's another verse I want you to see. I love this one. I love them all, actually. There it is, Ezra 10.4. A lot of people give the Apostle Paul credit for saying this, but Nike stole it. Because Ezra said, Arise, for it is your task. We are with you. Be strong and do it. Just do it. The Bible came to hands of the Japanese. I mean, come on. They, They quoted Ezra. Do it. I know how easy it is to get lazy, apathetic, and let the cares of the world overwhelm us, overwhelm me at times not spending enough time with the Lord but revival needs repentance revival starts with repentance and prayer we have to repent we have to pray and there was a revival uh, April 10th of 2016 in Mingo County West Virginia it started with prayer and desperation that's what we need prayer and desperation prayer is the key in five weeks there were 3,000 new Christians in three or four cities in that area 3,000 new souls, 3,000 new Christians. The local churches have joined together with each other to work, and prayer is the base. Hunger for God's everywhere. Beauty parlors, barber shops, restaurants, shopping centers, malls, gas stations. Most people are talking about Jesus Christ. The revival's real. It starts with prayer, and you are in the driver's seat. Jesus Christ picked this church. Samaritan's first, didn't? Jesus Christ did. The history you have here 
Intercessory prayer teams are needed. And you've already been equipped, as it says in Ephesians 4, Ephesians 4.10. No, excuse me, 4.12. I always get my verses confused sometimes. Wouldn't you like a revival here? Can I see a show of hands who would like a revival? Okay, how many of you are not going to raise your hand no matter what I ask? That's what I thought. Most hands went up. You couldn't see. And we have to, there'll be a resurrection of dreams, old forgotten prayers. Those things are coming to pass too. Revival and resurrection go together. But it starts with another R, repentance. Repentance. You know, prayers that you've said a long time ago, you may have forgotten and, and not thought about. But I can tell you, let me just tell you a little story here. How many, I'm not going to raise your hand anyway, I'm not going to ask you. How many of you guys or, or ladies, when you were younger, tried catching butterflies, you cup them in your hand? Come on, let's see a couple of hands go up. There you go. And what do you feel when you got that butterfly cupped in your hand? You feel his wings beating, don't you? Then all of a sudden, you don't feel anything because he stops or she stops. So you take the top of your hand off real slow. You look, open your hand, and the butterfly's there. Wings are in. You don't know if the butterfly's dead or not until you do this. And the butterfly takes off. That's what God's doing to this church. He's blowing the pneuma, the, the ruach, the breath of God on this church. Right now, he's doing it. It's a spiritual awakening is coming, a great harvest, and there will be reconciliation of hearts. It's easy to not let certain things bother us like before, accept things as they are. No, no, we won't do it. We're going to follow what Jesus said. We have a choice. We can be politically correct or we can be godly correct. I choose God. So it's easy to make excuses like missing church once in a while. Sometimes it's legitimate. Sometimes you just stay home. The game's on early. Come on, guys, give it up. But right now... We're going to go to this video. I don't have to go to hell. I don't have to be lost. My soul has been redeemed. I'm going to hell. But I 
got to first repent of my sin and receive Christ as my Lord and my Savior. God is a God of love. He loves you. And if there's one thing I want you to take from this great part when you leave here today, is this. God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. He takes away all that stuff that's been causing the emptiness and the trouble, and he gives you a peace and a joy and a sense of forgiveness that you never knew before. How many of you here tonight are broken? Fed up. But you don't know what to do. You give your life to Christ tonight and you will have supernatural help in breaking those chains that bind you. True repentance does not presume upon the grace and the mercy of God. We can only come when the Spirit of God draws us to Christ. You can trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. You've never seen him with your naked eye. You may not know him, but he's there waiting for you with open arms to help you. So I'm asking you to quit flying blind. Trust yourself to Jesus Christ. Follow the guidance of his instruments, which is the word of God, the Bible. God's not waiting to judge you. God's not waiting to condemn you. He's waiting to receive you with mercy, with love, with open arms, and forgive all your sins. You know, there only comes a few times in our lives when Jesus of Nazareth passes by, and we have an opportunity like we have tonight to receive him. You see, people have been praying, and the Holy Spirit has been working, and many people have already received Christ. And what an hour, what a moment for you to come. You may never have a tomorrow, as far as God is concerned. There are people here tonight that may never be alive tomorrow. You may never hear the gospel again like this, or your heart may not be this tender toward God. Come while you can, and don't put it off. This whole crusade would be worth it tonight if just you came to Christ. Because it would be rejoicing in heaven. God is waiting to welcome you with open arms. To receive you as you come to him in repentance and faith. I'm going to ask all of you to come and stand in front of this platform and say, By coming, I open my heart to Christ. I want him to come and forgive me and change me and make me the kind of person I ought to be. I want to know that I have eternal life. I want to know if I die, I am going to heaven. You say, why do you ask us to come forward? I just reminded you, Jesus hung on the cross for you publicly. He said, if you're not willing to acknowledge me publicly, I'll not acknowledge you before the Father in heaven. Simple, and yet could be life-changing tonight. And all of heaven will rejoice. You come, we're going to wait on you, men, women, young people. This is your moment. Before God, you come right now. If you want to make sure of your relationship to Christ, I invite you to pray the following simple prayer after me. Pray it in your heart. Oh God, I'm a sinner. I'm sorry for my sin. I'm willing to turn from my sin. I receive Christ as Savior. I confess Him as Lord. From this moment on, I want to follow Him in the fellowship of His church. In Christ's name, Amen.
receive Christ as your Lord and Savior and would like to talk to someone about your decision, please tell one of our staff members as you visit the theater. They'd be happy to pray with you in our prayer room just beyond. If you've completed a decision card, just hand that to one of our staff as you leave. We would love to provide you with Bible study materials that will help you build your relationship with Jesus Christ. May God bless you in this, your hour decision. That came from the Billy Graham Library. If Dr. Graham has reached you today to repent, to get yourself right with Christ, to accept him publicly for the first time, to rededicate your life, or to be assured of where you're going, please see one of the deacons, pastor, or you can just come up to the altar and lay it out there to get right with the Lord. This is an opportunity that doesn't come around that often, but it's here today. Thank you for your time. God bless you.